we just close our eyes for a moment, please? Mm. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. We thank you that it is your desire and your idea to love us, to encounter us, that we're not stumbling around in the dark trying to find some elusive God, but that we're running into the arms of a loving, kind, good Father. And that from the beginning of time, it was your idea, your initiative to be in relationship with us. And so this morning, Father, we give ourselves fully and totally to you to have your way in this room, to have your way in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We give ourselves fully and totally to you. So would you come and send your beautiful Holy Spirit to do what only he can do? Would you encourage us? Would you comfort us? Would you set us free? But would you also set us on fire and send us forth like never before? We ask this in your beautiful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Guys, it's such an honor and a privilege for me to be here this morning. Um, as Greg stole my introduction, my name is Luke. I'm not going to start with a joke that tanks are. I think it's going to set me on a bad course for the rest of the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm here with my beautiful wife over there, Elaine. Do you want to just do that? And my five kids are somewhere here in the building, I hope. Um, I always joke when they behave well, they're my kids. When they behave poorly, they're Elaine's kids. So if they're behaving poorly, please speak to our complaints department over there. <laughs> I'm going to ask for a... The Bible says that we're all given a portion of faith. I'm going to ask you to give me a portion of grace because I want to take us on a bit of a journey through a certain passage in Scripture and I want to unpack just a little bit of what we're looking at here so we can understand the full story, the full context. Sometimes we will read Bible stories and all these great victories and these great moments in God and because we don't actually make it real for us, and relatable to us. It always feels like this distant fictional thing that I can sort of understand, but I can never fully relate. And that is why Jesus taught in parables and stories and in ways that it would relate and connect to where you're at, what you're facing, and in your real life situation. He was never abstract to the extent where you could not connect with what he's saying. So I want to discuss with all of us this morning, and something that I believe the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart uniquely and specifically for this congregation. And we're going to go on a small little journey. Stay with me, because I believe if you posture your heart right this morning, God can do something in you that will not only change your life, but change the lives around you. And I'm a firm believer that you might have been coming into this church for the last 15, 20 years, but one moment with the king can change everything. And God is in the business of transformation. Day by day, moment by moment, and one encounter with the living God will touch your life in a way that nothing else can. So let's posture our hearts and go, God, I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to encounter you. I'm ready to hear what you have to say this morning. 
1 Samuel 13, we find Israel is at war with the Philistines. So we'll jump into that now, Gino. Thanks, man. What we see here is King Saul and his son Jonathan. King Saul was Saul of Israel. And he'd been anointed and appointed by the prophet Samuel. Samuel heard from God and here King Saul is going to lead Israel. And his son Jonathan is side by side with him. And they are a part of this endless war. The war we still see today against the Philistines. And it says this in 1 Samuel 13 verse 2. It says, Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back home. So here we see Saul. Saul's got, he's chosen 3,000 soldiers, 3,000 people. He's taken 2,000 for himself. And with his son, Jonathan, he says, Jonathan, yeah, you take 1,000 for yourself. And these are the armies that are being stationed and ready to resist the enemy. And then a few verses later in 13 verse 5, it says this. The Philistines, the enemy assembled to fight with Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped against the Israelites. So here we see Saul with his 3,000. And here we see the Philistines with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariot riders. And it says that the soldiers were as numerous as the sand on the sea shore. Who knows that they are up for a fight, that they are grossly outnumbered, ill-prepared, and just not ready to take this on. These are odds that most of us would never even be able to understand in our heads. The next verse says this, When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that the army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking in fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come, and Saul's men began to scatter. So it gets worse. He has 3,000. Now what happens is they begin to see the enemy. And it says that when the Israelites saw the opposition, they began to hide. The 3,000 he has, now a portion of them are hiding. Some of them have run away. Saul's troops, it says that they were quaking, trembling, and shaking with fear. And they even began to scatter. So now we look at the odds against Saul increasing exponentially. Saul, it says that Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of God and Samuel was going to come to Saul and instruct Saul. God has said this. God says, do that. But Saul now in his panic state, seeing his own men, the, the, the 3,000 he had running, scattering, hiding. Paul, Saul in his panic state began to take things into his own hands. And now he's no longer waiting on God, but doing anything he can. And the next verse says this, Saul says, bring me the burnt offering and fellowship. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel says to him, what have you done? And Saul replies, when I saw the men scattering and that you did not come at the set time, that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to burn an offering. 
What we see here is Saul acting out of fear. What we see here is Saul no longer waiting on God, no longer trusting God, but taking things into his own hands. Samuel says, well, what have you done? And Saul says, I saw my men scattering. I saw the enemy assembling against me. I panicked and I just did whatever I could do. The challenge was, he didn't do what God had asked him to do and what God had told him to do. So Samuel responds to him and says, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all of time. It feels unreasonable at this stage, if I'm honest with you. Put yourself in Saul's shoes. He's grossly outnumbered. He tries his best to do something. And Samuel says, because you've done this, you're now going to lose everything. And he says to him, now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out another man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. So I just want to do a brief recap of where we're at the moment. Here we find Saul outnumbered and facing an army incredibly larger than his. The Israelites are hiding and running away. His own men, imagine that, standing in battle, shaking and quivering and quaking with fear, physically shaking with fear. The vast enemies assembling and getting ready for battle. Saul, overcome with fear, panics and disobeys God. And the one person Saul relied on, the one person Saul was waiting on, Samuel, the prophet of God, the man of God, coming to tell Saul what God is going to do, now says, you're going to lose it all. And God has appointed another to take your place. So it's fair to say that Saul is not having the best day of his life. This is not going to make his uh, yearly highlight reel. As he's standing there, his men have abandoned him. The man of God, the prophet, has abandoned him. He said that someone else will take your place. And Saul is facing a seemingly impossible situation. The next verse is, Samuel left Gilgal and went to Gibeah and Benjamin. And then Saul counted the men who were with him, and it was no longer uh, 2,000, it was now 600. So it's just getting worse and worse. He started off with 2,000, but now he's down to 600. Samuel, the prophet of God, has literally just walked away, and yes, Saul is facing an ever-increasing Philistine army. To make matters even worse, it says that the Philistines had sent out raiding parties to take all the Israelites' weapons. And in the next verse, it says this, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrew will make swords or spears. So yeah, we have Saul with his 600 quaking, shivering, fearful men. The rest are hiding and none of them even have weapons. None of them even have a place to go to make weapons. It's just 600 fearful men, probably with nowhere else to go, nowhere to turn to and just ready to meet their demise and their end. And the next verse says this. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Think about this. On the day of battle, facing 3,000 chariots, 6,000 people riding chariots, and an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore, it says, on the day of battle, not a single one of their 600 soldiers had a sword or a spear. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had a sword or spear. So at this stage, it's just it's, it's, it's like ridiculous. I don't even know how to compute this. 
And it says in the next, the next verse, it says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outposts on the other side. But Jonathan did not tell his father. So yet Jonathan, a young man, bold and courageous, he's feeling we can't just sit here and wait. We can't just sit here and allow the enemy to assemble and to camp against us. We've got to do something. So Jonathan says to his young armor bearer and says, hey, let's go to the enemy. Let's go and see what we can do. Let's make a plan. Let's come up with something. And it says, but he did not tell his father. And that is such an important question. Why would Jonathan, the son of the king, not tell his father that he was leaving? And we can see in the next verse why. It says this. It says that Saul was staying on the outskirts under a pomegranate tree. So Saul at this stage was so disconnected, so distanced that he was actually on the outskirts of the battle, hiding under a tree. He wasn't where every king should be, at the front of the battle, encouraging his men, motivating his men, giving vision, leading with purpose, leading with passion and zeal. No, Saul had actually retreated, hiding on the outskirts under a tree. And right at the bottom it says, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Saul was so disconnected with this battle, so disconnected with his people, that he was unaware that his own son had left the 600. It's not a big group of people. His own son had left and Paul didn't know. So this gives us an idea as to what was happening in Saul's mind, in Saul's heart, where he was at and why Jonathan actually thought, I would be better not even to tell him. So young Jonathan, Jonathan and his young armor bearer says in the next verse, on each side of the pass, Jonathan intended to cross and reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. It calls all the cliffs by name, but it says on this side was a cliff. On that side was a cliff. On this side was a cliff. He was surrounded by cliffs. And the reason that I'm bringing that into context, I want you to understand that when Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go to this innumerable army and the two of us are going to take them on, that it wasn't only a great obstacle that they were facing and a great enemy that they were facing, but the journey was tough too. It was a treacherous and dangerous journey where him and this young armor bearer had to climb cliffs and deadly areas and dangerous areas. And sometimes it's not only the opposition that we're facing, but it's a road that we have to walk to get there. It can be tough, can be difficult. But yet Jonathan and his young armor bearer relentlessly pursued and pushed forward because they had something in their heart of the more of what God had for them. And I want to press pause right now and encourage you guys. Do not... Be overcome, not only by the opposition you might be facing, but even the journey you have to go on. If you are faithful in that journey, if you are bold and courageous in that journey, there is a victory, there is an inheritance, there is something on the other side of that journey that you can't access on this side. Sometimes we need to go through some things in order to access some things and to get into some places. The next verse says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan comes up to the young armor bearer and says, Hey, the two of us, let's go to this innumerable army. Let's walk this treacherous journey. Let's go over and see what they're doing. See what they're up to. Do something about this. Be proactive. Do something. 
And the armor bearer responds and says this. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. It seems like an unreasonable request from Jonathan. His armor bearer just says, do whatever's on your heart. Do whatever you decide. I'm with you. Doesn't matter. I'm with you. The next verse, it says that both of the men showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. And the Philistines shouted, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes where they were hiding. The men of the outpost shouted, Jonathan, his armor come up and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor climb after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. The next verse says, Jonathan climbed up. So picture this, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan climbs up. This path is so treacherous. His hands, his feet, he's doing everything he can to get to the enemy. This is not an easy road, but he's determined. He's called. He knows God has spoken and God has given this victory into his hand. So nothing's going to stop Jonathan from climbing this mountain. And he climbs hand and feet with the armor bearer right behind him. Right behind him. It says the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about half an acre. So we see Jonathan and his armor bearer climb this mountain. They get to the enemy and these two men killed 20. 20 of the Philistine, 20 of the enemy. And the next verse says, Saul looks at Gibeah and Benjamin. And he saw the army melting away in all, sorry, verse before this. Jonathan gets up there, kills everyone. And then it says in 14 verse 15, panic struck the whole army. Those in camp and field, those in outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook and it was panic sent by God. So now we see these 20 Philistines being killed. And then the seashore Philistines see these 20. And panic and fear enters into their heart. The ground begins to shake. And God sets panic upon them. And sets panic in their midst. And puts panic in their heart. And the next verse says this. Saul looks out at Gibeah and Benjamin. And he saw the enemy army melting away in all directions. So Saul's sitting under his tree, probably eating a fruit, waiting for something to happen. And he looks from a distance and he sees this massive army beginning to melt away in every possible direction. And then Saul says this, he says, gather everyone, muster the forces and see who has left us. Saul's trying to figure out who did this. Who causes? Get everyone together. Let's see who's missing. And then we know who has initiated this attack. Who has been bold and courageous enough to go and do this. And it says, they did that. And it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. They gathered everyone and there were two missing. Jonathan and his armor bearer. As the enemy army, the thousands melted away in every direction. And the next verse says this, Then Saul and all his men assembled and went into battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other. The next verse says, When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond beth So I want you to picture this now. Literally, engage your imagination. 600 people on this side. 
hills covered with thousands of chariots, thousands of soldiers. Saul sitting back at a safe distance, not within strike of the enemy, probably right at the back of his men, eating a fruit under the tree going, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to, everyone's abandoned us. God's abandoned me. Samuel's abandoned me. My men have abandoned me. And all of a sudden he, heal, he feels the ground shake, Saul. All of a sudden he, he looks up and he begins to see from a distance these thousands of men melting away in every direction. Saul doesn't know what to do. He's caught off guard because he's so disconnected from everything that he says, what has happened? And they, he says, Get, gather everyone and let's see who's not here. And his son and his armor bearer are missing. And what does Saul do? Saul assembles his whole army and rides into battle. Rides into battle to win the battle. Rides into battle to claim victory. Rides into battle to find the enemy panicked, fighting each other, confused, destroyed. The reality is he probably didn't even have to lift a sword. God had done all of it. And then it says that the Israelites who had hidden away in the caves and hidden away in the bushes, they saw the victory. And they came out and ran towards the battle. And also claimed a victory. And it says the Lord saved the day. People will remember that a great battle was won that day. Despite being outnumbered, despite being outweaponed, despite the majority of the Israelites running away in fear and hiding, despite Saul being disobedient and losing God's favor, despite all of this, people will remember that King Saul and his army defeated a great army of Philistines. That is what people will remember. It will go down as a victory, as a battle won for King Saul and his army. King Saul will be remembered. People probably won't remember Jonathan. Do you know why? When Jonathan left to serve, it says he told no one. When Jonathan left to give of his life to God and to fulfill the calling on his life, when Jonathan left to fight the enemy, Jonathan didn't go, I'm leaving. I'm brave, I'm bold, I'm courageous. Jonathan left without telling anyone. So people probably won't remember Jonathan. They won't remember that it was him who boldly and courageously went to attack the enemy. They would just see Saul riding in on his horse, claiming the victory, the, the army melting away in every direction. They would see Saul at the end with his sword raised high, saying, we've won a great victory today. They wouldn't remember that Jonathan had snuck out of the camp with his armor bearer. They wouldn't remember that Saul was sitting under a pomegranate tree, far away from the battle, hiding. They wouldn't remember that Jonathan used his own hands and feet to climb the cliff to get to the enemy. They wouldn't remember that Jonathan killed the 20 Philistines. With his own bare hands, he himself climbed, went on a dangerous, treacherous journey and killed the Philistines with his own bare hands. They won't remember that. All the people remember Saul assembling his army and riding into victory. People probably won't remember what role Jonathan played in winning this victory for Israel and winning this victory for God. 
people will definitely not remember the unnamed armor bearer. The armor bearer who didn't hide in a cave or run away like everyone else. The armor bearer who stayed and stood by Jonathan's side no matter what. The armor bearer who followed Jonathan to the enemy territory without questioning and without doubting. The armor bearer who went on the same dangerous and treacherous journey as Jonathan and climbed the same cliff as Jonathan, except the armor bearer was carrying everything and Jonathan was carrying nothing. He did everything Jonathan did and more. He carried Jonathan's weapons. He carried Jonathan's armor. And yet he's unnamed, he is unknown. He went on the same journey, but even more. He carried weapons he would never use and armor that he would never use. But people won't remember the unnamed armor bearer. He had no weapons of his own. He had no armor of his own. He would get to the top of this mountain and everything that he had carried, everything that he had labored with, everything that he had brought along with him, he would say, Jonathan, here, it's yours. The sweat, the blood, the tears, the agony as he climbed this mountain, he would get to the top and say, Jonathan, I've brought everything you need. He would climb this mountain to fight an enemy and he had no weapons and no armor of his own. Yet still he followed and still he carried. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go fight the enemy. The armor bearer knowing that he will carry Jonathan's weapons and armor. And that he has no weapons of his own responds to Jonathan. Knowing that he's probably going to a certain death. Knowing that he's going to thousands of Philistines with nothing of his own. He responds and says to Jonathan, do what is in your heart. I am with you, heart and soul. His armor bearer looks at Jonathan and says, it doesn't matter what you choose or what you do. I am completely with you. It doesn't matter what journey we have to go on. It doesn't matter what I have to carry. It doesn't matter what I have to do, Jonathan. I am with you, whatever you decide, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go. I am with you, heart and soul and the unnamed armor bearer picked up Jonathan's weapons, picked up Jonathan's armor and followed him to a place he didn't want to go, to make a decision he didn't want to make, to fight an enemy he didn't want to fight, but still faithfully he says, my life is yours, Jonathan. People don't remember that Jonathan used his own hands and feet. As Jonathan used his hands and feet to climb the cliff, his unnamed armor bearer was right behind him, carrying everything that Jonathan needed. This unnamed armor bearer watched Jonathan's back and defended him without any weapons. It says that when they got to the top, that Jonathan took the sword and took the armor and fought. And the unnamed armor bearer had nothing, but he covered and fought from behind. The unnamed armor bearer with no weapons, exhausted from the journey, defended his friend Jonathan, not with weapons, but with his own life and covered his back. People won't remember that. 
The Bible says on that day, the Lord saved Israel. On this day, God saved the whole of Israel. The Bible says that Saul and all of his men assembled and charged the battlefield. The Bible says that Jonathan killed 20 Philistines. But all of this, all of this happened because one unnamed, unknown armor bearer says this in 1 Samuel 14 verse 7. Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. God saved Israel. Saul assembled his army and charged the battlefield. Jonathan killed 20 Philistines. And all of this happened because one man who didn't need to be named, who didn't need to be recognized, who didn't need the fame, simply said, do whatever you want to do. I'm following you all the way and I'm right behind you. The NLT version says, do you, he says to Jonathan, do what you think is best. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. If it, not were, if it were not for that armor bearer following Jonathan blindly, carrying weapons he would never use in a fight that he would never get credit for, then maybe we wouldn't be speaking about Jonathan's courage. Maybe we wouldn't be speaking about Saul charging into battle. Maybe we wouldn't even be speaking about Israel being saved. Because one man chose to follow without recognition, without fame, without reward. One man says, Greg, whatever you decide, I'm with you. I'm completely with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, I'm with you. I will follow you and I will fight for you. I will have your back in every season. I believe God is wanting to do incredible things here in Mossel Bay. I believe God is wanting to give all of us incredible breakthrough. Everything feels like it's primed to explode, like it's primed to go. It feels like the ground is shaking. It feels like God is moving. It feels like the enemy is melting away. In every, it feels like all of these things are happening. And it's an incredible, exciting season that we're going to. I believe there are miraculous and supernatural things about to happen. But God is looking for unnamed armor bearers to break it open. Unnamed armor bearers to initiate it, to carry it. He's looking for men and women who aren't looking for recognition or reward. He's looking for men and women who won't be offended if they're overlooked. He's looking for men and women who don't fear being forgotten. Men and women who don't need to be seen or known. He's looking for men and women like the armor bearer. That is what God is looking for. You want to see great victory. You want to see great breakthrough. You want to see God move like you've never seen him move. Be an armor bearer. An armor bearer who stands alongside your leader without hiding or without running when things get difficult. An armor bearer that follows your leader without questioning or without doubting. An armor bearer who carries 
everything your leader asks you to carry without moaning and without groaning. An armor bearer that's prepared to climb the highest mountain, go through the most treacherous road without stopping or without slowing down. An armor bearer who is prepared to fight alongside your leader without fearing and quaking. He's looking for men and women who would do all of this all while knowing that they might never be named or never be known. He's looking for men and women to rise up here in this congregation, in this city, in this region. Who say, it doesn't matter what it looks like, it doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter what I have to do, I'm yours. Heart and soul, completely and totally, whatever you decide, my life belongs to you. Matthew 20 verse 26 says this. Not so with you. Instead, whoever, this is Jesus speaking. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the picture of the armor bearer. This is the picture of who God is calling you and I to be. This is the picture of Jesus. It says, just as the Son of Man, just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is looking for men and women who, like him, have not come to serve, but who have come to serve and to give their lives as a ransom for many. Matthew 16 verse 24 says this. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If any of you would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. You and I, would probably not be walking in what we are walking in today if it wasn't for that one unnamed armor bearer. God is wanting to bring victory. God is wanting to bring breakthrough. God is wanting to advance his kingdom. God is wanting to expand and grow his church. But he is looking for people who are prepared to be unnamed armor bearers where you don't need recognition, where if you're overlooked, your heart isn't offended, where if you're taken for granted and you think, oh, people just, they always walk all over me. Let them do it. The armor bearer carried everything, knowing he would never use any of it. God is looking for men and women who, like the armor bearer, will follow Jesus, pick up their cross daily, deny themselves, lose their life, and find it. Everything you want to see God doing in your life, in this church, in this region, everything you dream and hope for might be on the other side of you going, I deny myself. 
I deny myself and just like the armor bearer, I will pick up whatever is asked and I will carry it. Just like the armor bearer, I will follow without groaning, without moaning. Just like the armor bearer, I will use my life to live for another. I will use everything I have to fight for others. This is the life we are called to as unnamed armor bearers. He says, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow Jesus. Lose your life. And in doing this, find it. Thousands of years later, we are all gathered here, a couple of hundred people talking about the unnamed armor bearer. And I can guarantee you, he's probably in heaven right now going, not me, give someone else the glory. He's probably blushing as we speak about him. But God is wanting you to pick up your cross and to deny yourself. God is wanting to use you in ways that might break open nations, in ways that might set people free, in ways that might unlock things you never imagined. But He's saying to you, will you start as an unnamed armor bearer? Would you be okay if no one knew? Would you be okay if Saul got the credit for the victory? Would you be okay if Jonathan claimed the 20 lives, even though you did all the work, even though you followed, even though you covered his back, even though it was you on your sweat, on your effort, on, on your life? Would you be okay said to you give glory to another in today's age and society and even specifically in church we so badly want to be seen because when we feel seen we feel valued when we feel valued we feel like we belong we so badly want to be an elder or be a com leader or get an opportunity to preach or, and there's things in our hearts and they aren't necessarily bad things. We want more of God, but the world creeps in and we creep in and before we know it, we're actually looking for attention. We're actually looking for recognition. We're actually looking for someone to go, well done. But there is a reward and an inheritance for the unnamed that far exceeds the one King Saul who got all the recognition would ever get. Saul got the recognition in the moment, but thousands of years later, we're speaking about the unnamed armor bearer. And there are some of us in this building today who have been on a treacherous journey, who have carried this other people's stuff and have supported and poured ourselves out and given our lives to another. But along the journey, your heart got offended. Along the journey, you got hurt. Along the journey, you got disappointed. Along the journey, you felt unvalued, unseen. Along the journey, you said, what about me? Didn't you see what I did? Didn't you see what I sacrificed? Didn't you see what I laid down? 
God is saying this morning, would you lay down your need to be seen? Would you lay down your need to be known? And would you be just the unnamed armor bearer who unlocks nations and no one even knows his name?